Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. This week, I chatted with John Harness, who you might remember from one of our Gaming with Kids episodes, and Paul Sega. They joined me to talk about John's hashtag 280RPG challenge on Twitter, which was a spontaneous design challenge following Twitter's decision to test increasing some users' tweet length from 140 characters to 280. You didn't have to be a test subject to join in the fun, and they wound up with nearly three dozen entries in just a few days. I'm particularly excited to talk about this game challenge because it so directly echoes another unique take on games that partially inspired me to start Modifier. Near the end of 2015, Twitter introduced polls into tweets. Uh, Like the new tweet length and many other changes to our various social networks over the years, there seem to be two distinct opinionated groups that appear. The resistant and usually more vocal crowd that doesn't like it, and those that see the change as a challenge, or in this case, a design tool. The polls from a few years ago almost immediately gave rise to creative projects like comics that were fueled by fans voting for what would happen next. Just as recently as this October, I saw an artist using polls to dictate how their Inktober art project would go. But one of my favorite accounts was a D&D type role-playing game where the character was created through the polls, the adventure choices were decided with polls, and so on. And so far, these Twitter-based expressions are fairly short-lived, either either by design or some poetic justice, but I love them all the same. They're a new way to look at games, to pare them down to what's essential or open them up to a wider audience. Not all changes are good, but I hope this episode reminds you to approach change with an open and creative heart. One last thing, the F-word gets dropped a lot early in this interview, so if that isn't your thing, you can skip ahead about 10 minutes and you should be safe. Now, let's get to the show. All right, so joining me this week, I've got John Harness back again, uh, and also Paul Sega, and we're going to talk about the 280 character... No, we're going to talk about that. You got it right. Yep. Mm, We're going to talk about hashtag 280RPG. That's what it was called, right? Well, that's the hashtag. Yeah, that's the hashtag. Do you want <laughs> someone save me, John? Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, my name is John. Nice to meet you all. You might remember me from ranting about talking about running RPGs for kids a few episodes ago. Yeah. And uh, I initiated the other day, more or less, as a joke or on a lark, the 280 character RPG challenge. So if you're not on Twitter regularly, you may not know that. Twitter has always been 140 character long messages, and recently they've been experimenting with longer 280 character tweets. And I just randomly was one of the first people to get that number of tweets <laughs> of characters. So I was speaking with Taylor LeBreche at Leviathan Files and joking in a tweet just about how many characters I had, and I just started like mm-hmm. writing nonsense, right? And he threw back at me, 280 character RPG challenge, go! And I had been thinking about a game already that I'd been sort of tossing around with him called mm-hmm. Fistfuck. And so I sat down and I wrote Fistfuck, the game, in 280 characters. I had a great time of it, sent it off, thought that was the end of it. And mm-hmm. then, of course, I was hanging out with Darcy Ross, and she said, hey, make it a real challenge. And I said, no, no. And she said, do it now, or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I just I just tweeted out, hey, everybody, I'm doing this. Let's do it. And I picked, I said, you have three days from this very moment. Write me 280 characters. Go. 
And after that, just that one little tweet and a little uh, tweeting it out to other people, we got um, around 35 responses, give or take. Um, and it's been really great. And so as I was looking at them uh, and thinking about them, uh, Paul uh, Sega, who's here with us, reached out to me uh, with a thought or two, and we kind of had a back-and-forth private message conversation about the entries. And then I asked him if he would join us to join me to talk about what his thoughts were and that sort of stuff. So say hello, Paul. Hello. Hey, what were your thoughts? What were you, what got you interested in this? Oh, I, you know, I've organized challenges in the past. You know, there's kind of this trend over the past year. I don't know, a movement over the, over the past few years of creating Mm -hmm. tiny role-playing games you know, the Norwegians do their role-playing poems thing, which was kind of a, I don't know, contribution to the trend. Epidaya Ravishal was promoting nano games for a while. Mm-hmm. There's the 200-word 200, 200 RPG challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 280 characters. I don't know. I was in the right mood for it <laughs> and uh, had the right amount of time to do one. So Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's super, it's super interesting. I mean, when you actually see the entries... They're so pared down that they give you a they give you really a lot of insight yeah. into what people think is the core essence of a role playing game. There's no room for anything else. You've got to pare it down to just what you think you absolutely must include. And it it's it's almost like every one of them is a definition of what a role playing game is. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Paul and I were initially talking about is the the constraint of so few characters, right? If this is even compared to nano games, this is it's a, a nano game, mm-hmm. right? A, a super hyper nano. And so some of the games I think in the end are some of the entries are maybe not not even what I would really call a game myself, or not even really an, a role playing game. They might be like a pitch for a game or a setting, a micro setting. Some of them, right? Um, other ones are, I think, very complete-feeling games to me, but they don't necessarily have any dice in them or anything like that. Or they might not really tell you how anything of a setting, and it might just be a mechanic or a set of mechanics or even just sort of a suggestion about how you might come up with a mechanic. Um, things like that. And so I agree with what Paul just said, that they're, they're all... They're so boiled down that you really, like, for it to even be an entry, it's really just like, here's the minimum that I think counts. Here you go, right? And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think it's really cool too. I I really like how, um, like like Twitter has changed a lot over the last few years, and I think it's really interesting how people are. There there's some folks who are really resistant to the changes, and some folks who make games out of them. Like this this isn't the the first thing I've seen, but it's it's definitely like one of the coolest because it is so small. Like like you um Paul was talking about the two hundred word RPG, and you know one page RPGs are a, are a big thing making them smaller. This is probably the smallest. Which is so cool. Yeah. Like I, I think it'd be harder to get hard to get any smaller, but Right, you could have the, the five word RPG. Yeah. The one sentence RPG. Yeah. There are so many of them that you know, if you actually sat down to try to play them, they're they're missing so much that you couldn't actually play them. And it's, it's so it's hard for me to believe you could get much smaller mm-hmm. and have anything really playable you know that right yeah 
And I and I think like uh, what you were saying, John, about how they are so pared down, like they are just a mechanic or just a thing. They are. Um, I think most of the games I, I looked through with them are playable. Some of them, some of them maybe not, but like yeah, most of them are are just on that edge of like any any less, and there would just not be enough. Yeah, yeah. I think um, so. Also, if this is your introduce, introduction to the whole idea of the challenge that I just made up, uh, or really Taylor made up, uh, I claimed that I would judge and pick a winner based on totally subjective criteria of awesomeness. And so one of the things that I'm reminded of is that, so I know of Paul because of a project he did uh, two or three years ago, two years ago, called Three Forged, was itself a RPG challenge that I submitted to, and the idea was that you would have three rounds. So you would write an RPG, submit it to someone else who would change it up, who would then submit it to a third person who would change it up, and at the end you would have this game that had three three kind of authors, right? And then the final versions of those were authored. And uh, I thought that was a lot of fun, first of all. Uh, it was very memorable, and I think that's one of the reasons I thought about Paul Zega and added him when when I was coming up with the challenge. But also, it's fun to see which of them aren't games, because the game that I produced for that was accused of not being a game. Uh, and so I'm kind of in the like, yeah, not a game? That's right. Yeah, this is my, this is my, you get awesomeness points. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of like, I want, you know, some of my criteria looking through them and, tr- and sort of choosing what I thought were really interesting ones were things like, is it a game? Could you play it? Did it have a sense of a, of a, of a completion? But on the other hand, I'm all about like, well, here's some like car parts and a drum and, <laughs> and an elf go for it, see what happens, type RPG, play, and design. So it was fun to see all that showing up. Also, oh, there, was, there was definitely some of that. So do you two want to talk about what your games were for the challenge? I wouldn't call mine an entry. It was sort of the, the starter. What's also awesome about these games is that I can just read it to you, because it won't yeah. take very long. So, uh, so I made a game called Fistfuck, like I mentioned, and I'll just read it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick your number, 1 through 6. Closer to 1 for fist, closer to 6 for fuck. 1d6... Uh, high for fist, low for fuck. Roll your number exactly to fist fuck. U R A one d six. Riot girl, Bishonin, furry, log cabin Republican, stone butch, power bottom, and in it for one d six. Love, revenge, power, sex, God? Question mark. So basically, I was riffing on lasers and feelings. You know these two stats. Mm-hmm. Um, randomly roll to create a character and a sort of motivation, and then like take the gay knob up to 25 <laughs> my, was my that's goal. on brand right right yeah. this is my this is my brand right uh, <laughs> and and i shot this off to to taylor and had my chuckles and that was it mm-hmm. so this is where i started and what was great was that i really felt like like i said this is an idea that i had been kind of flopping around and maybe never would have put in pen put pen to paper about it other than just like this kind of joke in my mind but then being like no this is small enough, it's enough of a constraint that I can just, like, spit this out right now. And then I did, and now it's here, and it exists, right? Now maybe later I'll make mm-hmm. Fistfuck version 2.0 that's a, a thousand-character RPG, oh god. Uh, but probably not, you know? So we'll see. So that's yeah. what I came up with. Okay, so I'll, I'll do it the way you did it. I'll read mine and tell you what I was thinking. Cool. So mine, uh, there's no title for it. I didn't have enough characters for a title. I'm not sure when I'd call it anyway. This wine is a troubled god's blood. I pour a glass, tell you it's god's name and will, which is a secret need of my own, and bid you to drink. You scry it deeply, 
tell why its religion now fails, and hand me the glass. I drink and say how my planned acts will renew it. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. So I'll tell you what, why I think mine is interesting to me once I look at it relative to all the other ones. You know, it's interesting to me to see what people think needs to be there to to make it a game that people might possibly play. And for, for a lot of people, it you know, it's a resolution mechanic. Mm-hmm. They give you a couple of stats and they give you, you know, a dice mechanic and boom, they're out of characters. You know, they, they have no more characters to, to give to anything else. And so their assumption is you can fill in the blanks. You know what a role-playing game is. You can figure out how to create situations and know when to bring the mechanic into play and, and you'll produce some sort of narrative out of it. Mm-hmm. And, Mine's different. You know, there's no resolution mechanic at all. It's, you know, the things that I think are are essential is, you know, I think I need to give you a situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have enough characters to say you're the game master and you're the player. I just do I and you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, if I give you some color that inspires you to create stuff you know, and a situation that you're working within, you know, I feel like you can interpret it. So my, you know, I err on the side of situation and inspiration and other people define an RPG differently and assume assume that the players are going to come to it with, you know, what the game needs them to fill in the blank. You know, you know that there's got to be some work put into creating situations and, and they figure the players can come up with that. Yeah. That's cool. I, I think yours was, was, again, one of the only few, there were only a few that didn't use dice. Like, I know Cat Cool had a really sweet one about playing pretend that didn't use dice, and I am, there may have been one or two others, but... Um... Yeah, there were several. Um, a lot of them that, in a way, had a similar feeling, I think, about, they were very embodied, in a way, about being next to the person, uh, yeah. uh, sitting at a table, talking to the person. There were two different games about seances as a thing to do and about asking questions. There were several games about kissing. Some of them had uh, mechanics, but but some of them Mm -hmm. didn't, right? Uh, And I thought it was great. Yours, Paul, I think is the only entry, I could be wrong, but I think is the only one that used first person and second person as a strategy. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I and you versus versus they or it or whatever. Which really adds some kind of of weight to it, I think. It's, It's... really affecting in, a, in an interesting way. Indeed. I should let everyone know at home that Paul's entry has been disqualified from consideration <laughs> because of his participating in this podcast, in case you were getting worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just as a, a side note on that, I did a I did a poll on, on Google+. Plus. I asked people about my entry. I said, is it a LARP or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got like 64 votes on it, and it was split dead even, which yeah. really... I thought, what an interesting time to be doing game design. Indeed. When when there is nothing, you know, I mean, if you're doing video game design right now, it's the genres are pretty hardcore. You can look at a first-person shooter and you know it's a first-person shooter, you know, and there's no disagreement, mm-hmm. you know. You can look at a, a real-time strategy game and you know that that is what it is. And the, But in RPG gaming... Boy, there's no consensus of what about what the genres are. The the landscape is wide open, and I thought that that was 
pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when I was writing little notes to myself about each entry, just so I could keep track, several of them, including this one, had, like, micro LARP, question mark, mm. next to them. That's that's the next challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we could spend a, too long for this context talking about what how we might define a LARP as opposed to an, a tabletop RPG. But I think just for the sake of thinking, just saying it, you know, in my mind it was like, do I imagine the bodies of the players moving around in space as I read this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then it's LARP-esque, at least. Yeah. Right? Cool. What um, Were there any other like trends that you noticed in the games? So I noticed, one thing that I liked is that a small portion of the games used kind of exploited or took advantage of aspects of Twitter. Because that's not only that it's 280 things, but it's also on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody could have sent me a, a letter in the mail with 280 characters on it, and I would have accepted that, but nobody did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, there's one that I really liked by at Sir Capitaine. Um, uh, that is a emoji powered by the apocalypse game. So it's basically, you know, here's Dungeon World, um, and I will read it to you, but you'll notice as I read it to you that it's it resists being read mm-hmm. because it's choose one trait and two items, colon, and then a string of emojis, which I would interpret as uh, knife, arrow, something, yeah. shield, shield, candle, bread, tools, scroll, necklace, book. Mm-hmm. And then with book emoji, choose one spell. And then more emojis. Mm-hmm. Fire, like mountain maybe, or bridge, uh, snowflake, sleep, key, no volume, love, horse, bag, crystal ball, hole. You know, which I think is so great because the emojis being images lend themselves to so much interpretation. And they're carefully chosen, I think, that they add all of this all of this flavor and care and 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 you know D and D Dungeon World esque stuff, but you can only do it with these emojis that count as one character in this world, right? You couldn't write out all of that stuff; you'd already be over the limit, right? So the rest of the game is so it's those things, and then you have six heart emojis, uh, uh, skull and crossbones colon die versus arrow hitting a target, two through six plus one with trait plus one with item. Uh, sword emoji colon dice minus uh, target and arrow is loss of heart emoji. DM has to manage time emoji and demon fairly. Uh, give choices, build a believable world, return with a thousand money bag to earn a trait or spell. And what I really like about this is that it is so. I really like the form of it. It conserves so much space that it gives us how to make a character, how to do both combat and I think non-combat tasks. Maybe I'm not sure about that, but maybe mm-hmm. it gives GM advice and leveling up, all of it yeah. within the constraints. There's two. The per, it is. Uh, I think it. They could have added two characters if they wanted to. Mm. So I thought that was great. Another one that has to do with using Twitter explicitly is. Uh, one by at Randy Lubin. Don't think it has a name. Oh, GF uh, GIF Apocalypse. Two players via Twitter. Decades after the apocalypse, literacy is gone, but Twitter remains. First of all, great premise. Okay. Uh, all chat is with GIFs, no text. Each player has a resource the other needs. Can you establish enough trust to meet IRL and trade goods, thus ensuring survival? And then, and this happened with several of them, people immediately start playing the game yeah. in Twitter, which I loved. So those are two that I can think of that really used 
the the other one was the techno babble mm-hmm. one, which you were supposed to you know you're role playing out this sort of technical support situation, and you're supposed to do it over Twitter, and you know you've enlisted some people to like reply or retweet, and then the the mechanics are if you get retweets, you get a bonus toward your toward the resolution mechanic. And uh, you get an even bigger bonus if you get retweeted by a bot. Right, right, so. which is so cool. That one is by at Aaron M. F. King. That's cool. So that's one um, sort of thing I noticed. We also, uh, the three of us, oh, listener, were joking earlier that there's a lot of games about kissing yeah. and love. There's literally a, there's um, Seven Minutes in Heaven by at Avery Queer Girl mm-hmm. that is basically playing the game that you know from childhood of going in a closet, but uh, uh, you're describing intimate acts or asking intimate questions, uh, which I think is great. Reframed as an RPG in 280 characters. Um, there's Kiss Dungeon. Oh, yeah. I think you, Paul, really liked Kiss Dungeon. Do you want to talk about it for a second? I, I did like Kiss Dungeon. I mean, it's so simple, right? I mean, it's players are adventurers, roll a d6, and it tells you what type of monster you're presented with, player flips a coin, do they kiss the monster, do they kill the monster, and the the game master tells how it how it plays out. And it you can sit there and imagine yourself playing this, you know, that okay, it's a vampire. Oh, I kiss the vampire. Here's what happens, you know. I oh, it's a you know, it's a skeleton, it's a yeti. I you know, I kill the yeti. I you know, you get quick little stories probably largely told by the game master, so heck, you could almost play it solo, but I I did like it. I thought it had nicely contained drama within 280 characters. Mm-hmm. That's it's really cute. In the uh, in all of the entries, did you two sense any other sort of overriding themes or recurring ideas? I did notice uh, some other folks using emojis, not to the extent of the the emoji world one, um, but I thought that was that was a nice touch, just to save space or to make things uh, a little bit clearer. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, just talking as an aside about uh, the constraints. It was also fun to see who, how people abbreviated things, who kept very seriously about putting periods and things in places, and who didn't put periods and things in places. Yeah. Um, how how like you know the return key to be old school about it like <laughs> affected their like layout of the game and how that made things make sense or not make sense. Um, all that sort of stuff. I, I think it's interesting to look at them and and sort of see the different ways in which they get their dramatic fuel. You know, where does the fuel come from? You know, in you know in the emoji one that that you described, you know, it gets its fuel in the way that a traditional role playing game gets its fuel by somehow you're coming up with combat situations. You're coming up, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of them though, uh, the fuel is from do something emotionally intimate in some way, whether it's a kiss or whether it's the one where you're supposed to use your, it was a uh, Robosaur one, I think, where you were supposed to use your, discuss your feelings for bonus dice, you know, or the, you know, there are some where it's just do some surreal thing and try and interpret it. There was one where you were brewing tea and you were supposed to, you roll on a, on a list and you have to scream or wail, yeah. you know, with, some level of intensity, you know, and then at the end, it's like, interpret it. You know? It's yeah, like, yeah. 
you know. Oh, oh that one was that one was very <laughs> very cool and weird. <laughs> but I but I think that is kind of like the trend. Like the uh, the only other trend that I think I noticed is that they are so different in the mechanics that they employ. Your uh, one game you're screaming, and there's one where you're doing a rap battle, and there's one where you draw things, and there's one where you're dancing, and and they're just they're just everywhere and that's so cool indeed yeah, yeah it's it's good i think that the constraint did not as you were saying earlier it boiled things down but not everybody boiled down their concentrate into the same thing mm-hmm. you know which which is both kind of obvious in a way but on the other hand like yeah awesome that's so cool yeah, yeah. did you guys have any other favorites you wanted to talk about paul went to go first i do <laughs> okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you my absolute favorite my favorite was called The Grade. It actually had a title, and it was by at Neither Nora. Two-player game. I'll, I'll just read it. The Grade. Two-player. You're stranded in space. Roll 1d6. Alternate. One, blame. Two, share. Three, hurt. Four, comfort. Five, mourn. Six, embrace. Mm. Hurt times two equals death. Embrace times three equals peace. And it just feels like a full, rich mm-hmm. game. You know, you could play that for 45 minutes. It doesn't tell you role play the outcomes you rolled, but it knows that you will. You know, that if you roll share, that you're going to have to come up with something. What am, I'm going to share a story with the other player about whatever. You know, it, it knows that it can cast you into the roles of characters stranded in space and that and give you a loaded term like comfort or blame or or share or mourn and that you can do it mm-hmm. and construct this narrative and that and it has dramatic tension right in there am i going to roll hurt twice before i roll embrace three times you know i it has everything as far as i'm concerned and it's it feels like a fully substantial game in 280 characters oh absolutely yeah, it reminded me of, um, oh, well, I can't think of the name of it now. What's the one where you're dying in space? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's so many of them. Yeah, right. Uh, um, uh, the one by the lady, and you're sad, and you're dying, yeah. and you're with your lover, and yeah. they're going to die. I know the one you're talking about. I can't think yeah. of it. Yeah, I will look it up and make sure I add it to the, in here somewhere, some some kind of seamless editing. I'll totally do that. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, but that sort of game, like, there's there's a whole bunch of them that sort of fit that, like, this this kind of sad personal conversation that you're having with somebody else and to convey that in 280 characters or less is just well done. I agree. Did you have any, uh, uh, Paul, do you have a number two favorite that hasn't been mentioned? Right. And we talked about kiss dungeon. I liked, I liked one called by pigeon. It also had a title. Um, it's interesting how many people thought that a title was important enough for mm. to, to be given space within their 280 characters. But yeah, this one is called By Pigeon, and it's by Ash McAllen, and it's, I'll read it, um, share tiny messages among you. One is handler, one is agent. Put 66 among smart, sexy, strong. Agents in trouble, tell handler what to do. Agent roll which D6s fit, toss the ones, mark wins for sixes, zero rolled sixes now, fail, agent tell result, go to. The asterisk. There's an asterisk. So it has a go-to loop built into it, which I, yeah. I thought was a, you know, a fantastic way of creating the sequence of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, end if 0d6 is left, 
or uh, or nine wins. So it gives you the end condition. You know, did you run out of dice? Or and it and I just I think it's also it's one of those things where you've got a player who's giving another one a creative prompt. Creative prompts back and forth. You know, the agent says, "I'm in trouble. Here's here's the situation," and the handler says, "All right, this is what I want you to do: X, Y, and Z." And you you know that the players can can create that level of tension that the handler can give problematic instructions and the agent can create problematic situations that the handler has to respond to. It feels to me like a, like a solid engine of fun. Yeah. That's really cool. And thank you for explaining to me what that go to asterisk loop is. Now that you've said that it, is obvious to me. But to be honest, when I first started, I was like, I don't understand what's going on with this. Mm. And I think maybe it didn't affect me as strongly because I was just sort of like, uh, question mark? Okay. You know? Uh, but now that you've explained that, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't I see that before? Yeah, that's a programming convention. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I, I really like that too. I thought that was really clever. Meg, did you have any you wanted to mention? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, Richard Kreutzlandry, who asks a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good questions for the show, had a cute one uh, about Jane Austen. It seemed uh-huh. like a, like an everyone is John, but everyone is a Jane Austen novel, um, and uh-huh. I like that. That was cute. And there's one by uh, at Corvid Call that's about you're a band. And you go around and you're like, oh, somebody says the name of the album and somebody says the name of a song and somebody says, you know, what you were going through when you when you made that song and sort of thing. Um, and it was very cute. And I liked it because I feel like I've almost played that game um, just in that 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 seems to be one of those jokes where you'll you'll say something. You're like, oh, that's my band name or like that's our first single kind of thing. I don't know if that's a joke that anybody else. That's a joke. It's totally a joke. Okay, good. I was like, "Am I? Is it just me? All right." Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I loved it for that. Uh, At Plant Birds, uh, this the stars in the sky one where you you draw like constant. One person draws as many dots on the page as there are. You know, they they decide how many stars are in the sky, and the other player essentially makes constellations out of them, and you sort of decide together what they what they are and what they mean. I thought that was really Uh sweet. And Brandon had a good one. Brandon Leon Gambetta had a good one about. I'm gonna have to look it up to read it exactly, just because I. It was like it was a one player, which I don't know if there were many of those. And and you you play it by yourself. You roll a die, and you essentially are marking strength or hope each time you roll a die. There's more mechanics to it than that. But at the end of the day, if you have more strength, you you write uh, one of your strengths. You talk about a, a good a thing you're good at, basically. And if you have more hope, then you do like a self-affirmation kind of thing. And I thought that was just like a really nice thing to do for yourself and just really sweet. Yeah, that's the one I think that is the most sort of life gamification one. Mm-hmm. That, that was cool. It stood out because of that factor. There was another one where you actually had to go fishing in order to play the game. Oh, gosh, yeah, Taylor's... <laughs> Woohoo, that... Taylor, who started it all? Good for you, Taylor. Let's find that one and read it. I found it. Um, so this is from At Leviathan File, and... Go fishing. Your bait. Soft rig, lone wanderer. Spinner, wrap spoon, submerged vessel. Popper float, sailor. Live, monster. Bobber, a small town. Your retrieval is a metaphor for your story. What's your life on the water look like? There's a monster in the deep. How does it eat you? Oh, Taylor. <laughs> Which is pretty fun. That is I admit cool. to not knowing what all those words mean, but right? <laughs> I got the sense. I got the sense. Yeah. I got it. I'm ready. Let's go. I might be able to play that one day. <laughs> 
Not usually in a situation where I can just go fishing. You know, talk, talking about playing them, I think, you know, like I, like I was saying, there's this sort of movement of of tiny games, whether they're nano games or role-playing poems or, or whatever. And, you know, a lot of them get created for challenges, and they don't really get played that much. A while back, I did a sort of an open question. Of all the nano games out there, which one is the most played? And... The general consensus was that it was Cthulhu Dark, which is a game by Graham Walmsley, and he recently kickstarted a much larger published version of it, but it was a freebie for a long time. And, you know, just a few hundred words long, and it has the advantage of being a Cthulhu game and also being fairly, you know, inspired. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in this whole landscape of role-playing poems and, and everything, they don't get played that much. But I remember somebody, and I can't, you know, the name escapes me. It might have been Mark Major would do events at conventions where it would be like a two-hour time slot. Hey, we're going to play a dozen nano games. We're going to play a dozen tiny role-playing games or something like that, or, you know, in a four-hour slot. Or, and I think that's exactly the right way to consume them. These, you know, these 280-word games as well as, and, you know, aside from the fact that you can't actually go fishing. I mean, you have to rule some of them out because they don't fit the... <laughs> format but but to actually be able to say you know hey we're gonna do a ton of gaming in convention time slot i think that's a a nice way to handle the games and and treat them like they they aren't just design fluff yeah that pick good ones they deserve some attention they deserve some play you know definitely Anyway, sorry, I went off on a tangent yeah no no no, I think that would be great, and I am just personally interested in sort of recognizing the constraints that you mentioned of like us playing these games in our homes or friendly local game stores or the constraints of playing them at a convention table, right? And I've been long-term interested in sort of playing with the constraints of that. Uh, I recently ran a game at, for Contessa at Gen Con where every time someone got a natural 20 or a natural 1 on a D20, we would blow bubbles because we were playing fairies. <laughs> and that was great fun, but the bubbles kept migrating into the next table where I think they were playing some like very deep and dark and meaningful story <laughs> and they kept glaring at us so sorry sorry folks about that um, but even just that like kind of breaking apart the barriers of the table you know was just interesting and fun oh I like that yeah yeah now I'm thinking new ways of gaming yeah let's do it now I'm thinking like which ones can I print out and bring to a catacon and just play in the pickup area like yes 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 yeah that'll be cool <laughs> Awesome. All right. I think that I will go ahead and list um, just one or two others that I think mm-hmm. I would like to mention. If we haven't mentioned your game during this uh, discussion, it's not because we didn't love it, because I loved all of them. I cackled my butt off mm-hmm. during many, many, if not all of them. So thank you, everyone. Um, but some of the ones that just, like, as I said at the very beginning, just struck me on my own, very subjective, I like these because I like them, and I'm in charge, so haha. Uh, sort of level. Uh, I really liked the pirate storytelling game put together by at GM Tim D just because I'm a sucker for like weird formats. So it's a poem. Avast me hearties, our ship's going down, so fight we must so we don't drown. Now take turns rolling 3d6 to fight and board the enemy ships. In a pirate voice, describe your acts, build off each other, don't hold back. If one be rolled, ye lose that die, lose them all, tis your end, goodbye. 
That's Har! so good. <laughs> Which I just love, because it's like, first of all, so well done. It includes all of the information, it fits the constraint, it has like, it's talking about dice, and there's a, there's a mechanic there, and yet it also is this like hilarious poem. I loved it. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Okay, I think the other one I want to talk about, just real quick, is, um, I don't think it has a title, it's by at NYVinter. Um, and this is, to be honest, one that I sort of glanced at at first, and it didn't really strike me. And then when I went back to them all and read them all over again, um, I just really liked it. So here, I'll read it. Uh, you're in a 70s movie. Might be an action or a dance drama. Who knows? You do. Because first of all, like, what? What an aside that is. In, two, in 280 <laughs> characters, that random aside right there? What? All right. Uh, you have the stats cool, hip, groovy, dope, fly, and self-deception. Self-deception is 40 plus 1d20. 100 minus self-deception equals spread out across the other stats. Roll 1d100 and below stat to succeed. So I think this one didn't strike me. Um, You know, it's very compact, and it uses abbreviations and stuff like that. So as opposed to the last one, which was very kind of form-oriented, this one isn't so interesting in its form. But I really like that even in this very, very self-contained or very small game. It has not only, like, through just a handful of words, has set up a really firm setting for us to play in, mm-hmm. but also it's given us a mechanic that lends itself to the story we're telling. Mm-hmm. So if you read the rules and interpret them, you're always going to have a really high self-deception. Therefore, it's a commentary about 70s movies, which is that they're all about self-deception, mm-hmm. right? So it's this, like, little critique and little in-genre thing that I just thought was so like succinct and sweet. Really like that one. All right, now I am going to give a sort of special judges honorable mention, and then I will say the one that I think was the coolest. Okay. Now, at the time we're recording this, we may have already uh, announced this, um, because it might be a while before this comes out, but still, I will talk about them. So, I wanted to give a special judges mention to a game that actually came in after the deadline. Um, it came from Furious at Furious Proggy, mm-hmm. and I will read it to you. Death in America. Say a thing you're doing and roll a d20. On a one, everyone dies in a mass shooting at the thing. Play proceeds to the right. Yeah. Okay, so first of all, let's take a minute to sink in the sort of realness right there. And so the contest ended a few Sunday nights ago. That is the same Sunday night that the recent Las Vegas mass shooting happened. Mm -hmm. And so immediately after that, you know, couldn't make it in for the, for the contest itself, but in a way I don't care. It's this like, it's this so tight, punchy, dramatic little game that by the way, is not 280 characters. It's shorter than 140 characters. It's one tweet. Which I think is the only thing that's one tweet. And I love it because so many of my little micro games that I've made have been in direct sort of emotional response to a political happening like this. And so I read this and thought like, God, I wish I had made that game. That's that this is a little thing that I wish I had made. Mm-hmm. Um and I just really loved it. So it can't win, of course, because it came in after the deadline, but I, I think it's one of the cleanest, most dramatic, obviously, sort of poignant entries. 
Do any of you, either of you, have anything you would like to add to that about that one? Yeah, I, I actually hadn't read it, but I agree with you. It's you know, it exists in a moment and makes a strong statement, you know, within the context of its moment. I think it's, you know, I think that's great. Yeah. So here we are, drum roll, da 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 da. da. <laughs> the game that I think uh, I really loved when I read it again, I thought, God, I wish I had written this. I immediately wanted to jump up and like go wake up my roommate and play it with uh, him was one that's already been mentioned, which is Degrade by Neither Nora. We already read it, so I won't read it again, but it's the one where there are two players, you are in space, and you are rolling to see what the reactions are, blame, share, hurt, comfort, mourn, embrace, and if you get two hurts, the game ends with death, and if you get three embraces, you get peace. Um, oh, I, I only just now noticed that there's a, a, even a little star emoji right at the end of it. There's one character sparkles emoji at the end. Perfect. And I love it because it's so succinct. As was said earlier, it, it feels complete. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It, it gives you a place. It gives you a sense. It gives you an ending. And I just think it's really beautiful. And as with some of them, only some of them this is possible for sure, but as with some, people immediately started playing it on Twitter, and it's just, like, beautiful. It's it's sharp, sharply clear what to do, what you're doing, the emotional experience you will get out of it. There's a sense of risk. There's a sense of triumph. All of that. And I just think it's great. So, Neither Nora, you might already know this, whatever, uh, Neither Nora Degrade is the winner of the 280-character RPG challenge. Yay! Yay! Awesome. Awesome. All right, well, the 280 RPG challenge is at hashtag 280RPG, and where can we find you two online? So you can find me, John Harness, on Twitter at at Cartwheel, C-A-R-T-W-E-E-L, there's no H, Um, and I'm on Facebook. I run the RPGs for Kids Facebook group, which I talked about in another episode, so you can Mm -hmm. find me there too. You can find me on Twitter at at Paul Sega, P-A-U-L-C-Z-E-G-E, or also on Google+, Plus, search for Paul Sega, and you will find me. Awesome. Well, this was great. Thank you both so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah it was great. It was a super fun challenge, and the, the entries were, it was so fun to look at them. I mean, you can read all 34 of them in a half an hour, you know? Oh, yeah. So, how cool is that? You know, how long does it take you to read 34 role-playing games? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again to John and Paul for joining me for this episode. You can find their links in the show notes, as well as a link to the game challenge list. And now, everyone on Twitter has 280 characters, so even though the formal challenge is over, you can give it a try yourself. Before we go, I want to plug one more thing. I recently wrote a hack of Grant Howitt's Honey Heist called Crystal Caper, and it's about magical girls. The fine folks over at the Polyhedral Crew are going to be playing it on their Twitch stream on December 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll share a link through the Modifier Twitter. I can't wait to see what they get up to. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier Podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neo Scum, 
System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. Adventure is an actual play podcast hosted by Pranks Paul that focuses on generating fan fiction for established books, TV shows, and movies through tabletop gaming. Adventure will feature a rotating cast of players in a variety of media properties. Find out more about all these shows at oneshotpodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>